So back in 2017, that was pre-COVID, before we had that wonderful year of 2020 and still somewhat dealing with it now, we launched what is known as the Heartbeat of Harvest Hill. And we launched it in order to give us a direction to fulfill the purpose to which God has placed Harvest Hill here in Stratford, in Missouri, in the United States, and in this world. And our purpose, overall purpose, is Harvest Hill is pretty simple. You can see it on our church van. You can see it on the website and Facebook. It's to love God and to love people. That's our purpose, to love God and to love people. It's to fulfill the two great commandments that Jesus Christ gave us and that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means everything we've got to love God and that we are to love others as we love ourselves, to love people. And so we call it our heartbeat because if we physically do not have a healthy heart, then it's going to keep us from doing the things we may like to do, the activities we like to to do, to to go places we'd like to go, maybe even to enjoy some of the food we'd like to enjoy. Um, But also, as a church, the same principle applies. If we don't have a healthy heart as a church, then it's going to keep us from doing and enjoying what God has called us to do as His people that form and gather to create His bride, the church. And so the heartbeat deals with four principles, and we have them on the back wall on top of the bulletin boards there. And the four principles are this, and they'll be up here on the screen. That we are to meet people where they are so that they can meet Jesus. Then we are to mature in our relationship with God. We are to be on mission and on ministry for the kingdom of God. And we are to multiply by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to be recapping the heartbeat, which we do uh, throughout every single year. We've done it numerous times. And to begin this new year, 2023, with an understanding of being on focus, on purpose, about loving God and loving people, to be the reason why God has planted Harvest Hill here in the community of Stratford, and why he has brought us all here to be a part of what God wants to do through you and through this church. So we're going to look at two main passages of Scripture. We're going to have a couple others on the board as well. and Both are going to come from the Gospel of Matthew. So if you want to turn in your Bibles or on your iPad or phone or whatever you're using to get into the Word of God, the first passage is going to be in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And is what is known as the calling of the first disciples. Our second main passage is going to be out of Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 18 through 20, and what is known by many as the Great Commission. And so obviously there's a lot between chapter 4 and chapter 28 that we could fill in to fill the gap, which we're doing in our ongoing series if you're visiting us this morning, and we're looking at the Gospels and putting them all together in our series called Tell Me the Story of Jesus. For the sake of time, we're just going to kind of go over it briefly this morning uh, to bring out these heartbeat points. Now, some of y'all have been here since 2017. God called the Hurchin family here in 2016. And in 2017, we launched this heartbeat. And so you've heard the heartbeat of Harvest Hill at least 10 times, if not more. And you've heard the recaps at least 10 times, if not more. And so a question that comes up for many of us may be, why do we keep coming back to this? Why do we keep focusing on this throughout the year once, twice, three times? Nice. Uh, but if you read through the Old Testament, here's why. When you read through the Old Testament, I encourage you to be reading through the Old Testament, through the Bible, what you're going to find is that God comes to his people constantly and consistently to remind his people of their purpose and to remind his people that they are to remain faithful to the purpose to which he has called them to. Also, when you read through the Old Testament, what you're going to see, even though God comes to his people consistently and constantly telling them to remember to do certain things, you're also going to find that God's people consistently and constantly forgot. 
And so when they consistently forgot what God's purpose was on their life, what they found themselves was in spiritual and physical trouble. And so this is why we look at the heartbeat numerous times throughout the year to remind ourselves. As God reminds his people, we need that reminder as well so we don't get off track, so we don't find ourselves in a spiritual or physical uh, situation. So our first passage begins in Matthew chapter 4, and we're just going to focus on verse 19. And he, the word of the Lord says, he being Jesus, said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now the New International Version, the New Living Translation Version, and other versions of Scripture have the word come there in verse 19 before the word follow. What it is saying is that in the Greek it is implied, the reason it's not in some versions of Scripture, the Greek implies the word come as the disciples are being called by Jesus into activity. He's calling them to action. So at this point in time, with the aid of the other Gospels, particularly the Gospel of John, what we can decipher is that Andrew and and John, they've already met Jesus as they were first disciples of John the Baptist. Again, we can gather through the Gospel of John, but they've yet to receive the invitation by Jesus to follow him. And that, that phrase, follow me, what Jesus is doing is he's inviting these fishermen, to become his disciples. It was a common phrase used in Jesus' day by rabbis inviting a pupil or a student to become a disciple and to learn under them. But they have yet to receive the invitation even after their first encounter with Jesus on the shores of the Jordan River, even though they spent the night with him. But we can assume that after their encounter with Jesus, after following John and then then being with Jesus one night, that they returned home to the Sea of Galilee, to their occupation as fishermen, and they began to tell others about this man named Jesus whom they met, whom John the Baptist pointed out as, Behold, the Lamb of God. But this is where we begin on our heartbeat, and this is where everyone has to begin. It begins by meeting Jesus. And though the disciples have this upper hand in, on us in the Gospels, that they got to meet Jesus personally, they got to be in his physical presence, they began to share with those that they love, family members and those that they work with, about this man named Jesus. They didn't fully understand who he was, but they understood that something was different about him. Again, if we looked in the Gospel of John in chapter 1, in verses 43 through 51, We find Philip has this encounter with Jesus. Jesus gives his invitation for Philip to come and to follow him. Well, Philip being so excited, he goes to find his friend Nathanael. And he tells Nathanael about this guy named Jesus from Nazareth, from Galilee, that has invited him to come and he was going to be a part of his little uh, army of men. And Nathanael is so pessimistic about this. He's actually kind of racist about it, about where Jesus comes from, saying, can anything good come from Galilee? Well, Nathaniel's response, even though, or Philip's response, even though Nathaniel was hesitant, was this. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Come spend a little bit of time with him. Come meet him. And then make your conclusion about who he is. And what we we learn is as God's people, if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a believer, if you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, as God's people, we are called to deliver the news and the invitation for people to come and meet Jesus. We'll just come and see. Now, one method we learn from the Apostle Paul, and he delivers it to the believers in Corinth, is that Paul 
Try to find a common ground with all people in order that he might present the gospel, in order that people might meet Jesus and accept him as, in Lord, as their Lord and Savior. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, Paul writes, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Now, when Paul writes and says that I've become a servant at all, he means that he serves people through his life and with his life with the message of Jesus Christ and what we refer to as the gospel. He is not saying that he becomes like them. He is saying that he finds a common ground with all sorts of people, and he does it all for the sake of the gospel so that he may share with them in its blessings. But did you notice what he wrote? He says, I become all things to all people, that by all, by all means I might save some. See, Paul understood that even though he becomes all things to all people, he finds a common ground, a, a common place to start a conversation and to bring Jesus into that conversation. He understood that every conversation he had wasn't going to lead to a salvation experience. He understood that there are going to be people resistant to Jesus Christ and in meeting him and in accepting him. And so he says, I do it all for the sake that I might save some. But I do it that I might share with them in its blessings. And the blessings that Paul writes of there in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 23, is the blessings of the gospel. And the blessings of the gospel is that if we accept the gospel, when we meet Jesus Christ, we proclaim him as our Lord and Savior. The blessings of the gospel is that we are now forgiven past, present, and future. All of our sins have been washed away as we sang in that song. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Right? All of them have been washed away. We are now seen in the perfect righteousness and holiness of Christ. We are now covered by the blood of the Lamb. The blessings of the gospel say that we have now been adopted as God's children, which is why we're able to refer to him as our Father. The blessings of the gospel tell us that God now has gifted us his spirit to live inside of us, to which now we are now the temple of the living God. And the blessings of the gospel or eternal life. And so Paul becomes all things to all people because he wants the blessings of the gospel to be encountered and accepted by all people, but he understood it. Some will come to it, and some won't. And so we have to understand when we want people to meet Jesus, there are going to be people who are reluctant to come and see and to hear. But that does not give us permission to not proclaim and to not invite and not engage in conversation. And as God's people, we have to have a conviction about this. People have to meet Jesus in order to accept Jesus and be forgiven for their sins and be given eternal life. Because here's the truth that Scripture lays out. Here's what God tells us from his word. If a person is without Jesus Christ and they have never met Jesus Christ, they are lost. They're lost. And they're heading for hell, eternal separation from the God who loves them. And so God commissions us 
power empowers us, commands us to go preach, proclaim, teach, engage in conversation so the blessings of the gospel which we have accepted can come into their life. The goal here in meeting people where they are so that they can meet Jesus is this. We as God's people, we have to be intentional about the places we gather with other people and to proclaim Jesus. We have to be intentional about engaging in conversation about Jesus Christ. We have to be excited about what he's done for us outside the walls of the church. Yeah, we can talk about the weather, we can talk about sports, but we've got to get it to the cross. We've got to get people to understand we love them and we want them to know Jesus. Because if they don't, they're lost. And a lot of believers, they hear that, oh man, being intentional in conversation, we get intimidated by that. That fear starts to rise up about, okay, about sharing, and we kind of start to get tongue-tied. But the calling on our life is to present the gospel for others to meet Jesus. And as we looked at in our Christmas series, here's the promise that God gives us. When we are intentional about speaking Jesus, speaking the gospel, and the blessings of the gospel in people's lives, the promise we find in Scripture is that it is the Holy Spirit who then takes control and gives us the words to say. So it's not us doing it. It's God working through us and using us for his glory. But here's what we have to do. We have to say, God, I am going to be a willing vessel. I am open and ready to be used by you to proclaim your good news. Looking back here in the Gospel of Matthew, notice what the invitation was. It wasn't just to follow Jesus there in verse 19. But Jesus wanted to make these fishermen into something they were not yet. He says, follow me and I will make you. Jesus was going to do the work in these fishermen, and he was going to make them into something that they were not yet. I am going to make you fishermen into fishers of men. And so once we meet Jesus, once we say, I am a Christian, I am a believer, I am saved, I have the gift of eternal life, I have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us, here's the thing, that's not it. God doesn't save us and just drop us and leave us. What God calls us into is a relationship with him, to be with him, to hear from him, to talk with him. And so to do this, we have to mature in our relationship with God. And this doesn't happen overnight. You may be saved on January 1st, 2023. Well, January 2nd, 2023 doesn't mean you're fully matured. It's a process. If you read through the Gospels and what Jesus does in these fishermen's lives, and you look at the disciples who eventually become apostles, you will find that at times they got it right, and we applaud them, and at times they got it completely wrong, because they were maturing. And there's going to be times in our life as we're in this relationship with God, and we're following his lead because he's our shepherd, there's going to be times we're going to knock it out of the park. And there's going to be times you're going to fall flat on your face. But we're maturing, so we learn. The gospels not only reveal Jesus' ministry, but to reveal this maturation process that's happening in these 12 men as they mature in their understanding of who Jesus is and who God is and what the scriptures actually meant. And I found, and, and, and I once believed that you know, salvation and meeting Jesus was defined by an experience. 
Let me tell you, if someone asks you, hey, are you saved? Are you a Christian? Don't define it by an experience. Don't define your relationship with God. Well, I walked an aisle. I prayed a prayer. I was baptized. You know, I go to church as much as I can. You know why I say don't define it as an experience? Because those are things you did. And salvation is about what Jesus did. It's not about what we did to earn, work, keep, or even say that we're a Christian. It is about what Jesus Christ did for us to save us from the pit of despair, from the bound or the chains of sin. He released us, he freed us, and now we're free in Christ. So when someone says, are you a believer, are you a Christian? You say, yes, because Jesus Christ saved me. It's not about praying a prayer. It's not about walking an aisle. It's not about going to church consistently or regularly or reading your Bible or singing. So it's about being in a relationship. It's about falling more in love with God every single day, knowing more about him every single day, diving into the depths of who he is, being in awe of what he has done. See, our salvation is based upon what Jesus has done. Because what Scripture reveals is we could not do anything under our own power to save us. But in this salvation, it's a call to relationship because God is calling us into sanctification. That is God's will for his children, to sanctify us. That word sanctify or sanctification is the setting apart. What God's desire is for his children He wants to set us apart from the people who are still attached to this world. He wants us to be different. But in order to be different, here's what we got. We got to mature. So when we came to Christ, we were age zero. You were a baby Christian. I was a baby Christian. We're called to grow. We're called to grow up and to age. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Being a Christian begins at salvation, but it is a call, just as Jesus called these men, into discipleship. It's a call to growth. And Jesus wants to take us on this journey as our shepherd so we can age properly in our salvation and, do, and become exactly what he wanted to do with these men here in Matthew 4.19. Jesus wants to take us from where he found us in our sin to mature us into something we weren't before we met him. To be different. To become the aliens and strangers, exiles and sojourners that Peter wrote about. To be sanctified. The truth of maturing our relationship with God, here it is. The only thing that's keeping you and the only thing that keeps me from maturing in our relationship with God is ourselves. That's it. We're the problem. It is our effort or lack thereof. Salvation, God instills his spirit inside of us, which gives us this new desire to want to know him, to want to be with him, to want to worship him. And here's the thing. In maturing, we're the only problem. We're the only roadblock. Because sometimes we don't respond to that desire. When it comes to maturing in our faith, we are either going to be our greatest ally or our worst enemy. 
When it comes to knowing God more, falling more in love with God, being used by God, you are going to be your greatest ally or your worst enemy. Because it's about you working out your salvation with fear and trembling. So we, we decide how much we're going to take in. We decide how much time we're going to put in to this relationship. We decide what resources we're going to use to grow in this relationship. We decide how many opportunities we're going to give ourselves to be in God's presence and to learn more about him and to fall more in love with him. There is no one else to blame in this room when someone asks you to be a part of the ministry or be a part of the mission or to teach a Bible study. There's no one else to blame in this room but yourselves when you say, I don't think I know enough about the Bible. You're basically saying, I'm the problem. That's it. When you're saying you can't be used by God, you're basically saying you're the problem. Because God wants to use you. That's why he's given you his spirit. To empower you to be used for his glory. So don't be the problem. But one thing about we need to understand about this relationship with God and this maturing relationship with God. We don't mature in our relationship with God to, to work for our salvation or to earn our salvation or to keep our salvation. Salvation is a gift from God through Jesus Christ. Maturing in our relationship with God, here is what is to drive us. It is in response to God's love for us. That's why we matured. That's why we want to desire to be with him and to learn more about him. Because we understood how much God loved us, how he had to save us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we are only responding to God's love by wanting to be with him and to know more about him. And as a Christian, we have been given a desire within us through the Holy Spirit to pursue after the things of God, the God who loves us, and to become more like the Savior who saved us. Be imitators of Christ. Have the mind of Christ. Walk as Christ walked. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. These are all commands we're given in Scripture. And if you're a child of God, you begin the Spirit to do such things. As a believer, here's the thing. If, if you say you're a believer and you have no desire to do this, you have no desire to pursue after God and to know God more and to love God more and understand God's love for you more, if there's nothing in you that has that desire, you really need to take a gut check and question the authenticity of your salvation. Because if you don't want to be with the God who loves you, there's something wrong with it. So you got to take a gut check, a heart check. All of God's people, we all should want to dive deeper into the presence of God, deeper in the presence of our Savior, deeper into the presence of our Holy Spirit, all who which saved us. In the gospel of Jesus is going to spend three years just pouring into these men, discipling them, maturing them. And then he gives them a command before he sends to heaven, jump with me to Matthew chapter 28 what is known as the Great Commission. Beginning in verse 18, And Jesus came, and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And at this point in time, Jesus is risen from the grave. So those who are hearing his words are like, duh, no doubt, right? There is no question you have all authority, and it has been given to you, okay? But in his authority, as the risen Lord, he says this in verse 19, Go. This is not like, you know, if you want to. This is not like, you know, if you got the time. 
That Greek word go in verse 19 literally means as you are going. Meaning this is implied you're going to do this. Okay? This is not a debate. This is a command. We call it a commission. It's a command. He says, go. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So basically, look, I've been discipling you. Now you're going to go, and you're going to start discipling others. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, how is he with us always to the end of the age? Because when the Holy Spirit comes in the book of Acts, that's the presence of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, being with God's people to the end of the age. And nothing can separate us from that. So the disciples from Matthew chapter 4 to here in Matthew chapter 28, they've been maturing, right? They've been discipled by Jesus, but here they're not complete. They're not perfect. They're called to action here to go and make disciples just as Jesus had been discipling them. So he already gave them the model. Just do what I was doing with you guys. And then he says... You're going to go teach others just like I was teaching you and just like I was teaching the crowd. Now, they would not have been able to do this if Jesus had not matured them. He, he ripened them, right? He made them ready. Now, the Apostle Paul understood, even though he took the gospel into the known world, he understood that he was not fully who he should be. He understood the calling on his life, even though he proclaimed the gospel in the known world of Rome and wanted to take it even further, he understood that he was not completely mature. So he wrote to the believers in Philippi concerning his desire to continue to mature, to become more like Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's what he says. Let those who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul's saying, look, I'm not perfect. I don't get it right all the time. I am still maturing. I'm still being discipled. I am still learning. And even though I did to preach in so many different places, Philippians understand this. I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect. We begin this new year, by the way, happy new year. <laughs> That's a great time to start a Bible reading plan. And again, you're going to be your greatest ally or your worst enemy. Because we literally have no excuse not to be reading the Bible. You can pull it up on your phone. You can have it anywhere you go if your phone's on. Well, Richard can't, but all of us can. <laughs> and Download the Bible app if you don't have it already and go to their plans and pick out a Bible reading plan. I, I, I would encourage you to pick out, read the Bible in a year. And you can do it different ways. There's chronological readings. There's just read from Genesis to Revelation. There's read, you know, a couple passages or chapters from the Old Testament and then a, a chapter or two from the New Testament and maybe a chapter from Psalms. 
And you just take it day by day. And, and here's the thing. Understand this. There's going to be days you're going to miss. And there's going to be days you're going to want to not stop reading. And you don't care that it says you completed day 35. You want to read day 36 already. And so there's going to be days you're going to get ahead, and there's going to be days, you know, oh, I forgot that. That's okay. But just start a reading plan. Get into God's Word. Jamie and I, we, we, we're going to keep each other accountable this year. Now, every year I, I, read, I read the Bible. I usually finish it before the year's out, and I'll read other books and stuff like that. But read it every year for the, well, since Ethan was born. But Jamie and I are going to keep each other accountable. Like, hey, did you do your Bible reading yet? And since we're both competitive, we're probably like, yeah, I'm three days ahead of you, this type of thing. But you'll find someone to keep you accountable, a husband, a friend, a co-worker. Hey, did you read your Bible plan today? Someone that can, can continue to help you mature. It's also a great time to start getting committed to a small group. I will confess as a pastor, our small group has been stagnant, and that's, that's my fault. I'm, I've been our worst enemy. <laughs> But get plugged into a small group. Or here, I don't, I don't know which small groups are around. Start one. Start a small group. Get plugged into Bible study. We're going to start Wednesday Night Live here next Wednesday. Not this Wednesday, next Wednesday. Come to Bible study. Get your kids to Bible study. Get your students to Bible study. And just get plugged in. Start a Bible. And the Bible study doesn't have to be, or small group doesn't have to be connected to Harvest Hill. Maybe it's at your workplace. Maybe it's with people you typically hang out with. Hey, I want to just get together and, and let's talk about the Bible. Let's talk about God. It doesn't have to be here. <laughs> it doesn't have to be with people who only go here. But it's a great time. Like, I'm going to make this commitment. This is a new year. I'm going to make this commitment. I'm going to be intentional about pursuing after God and being in His Word. This maturing process it comes from a place of realizing, you know, we haven't made it yet. Right? There's no one here who's made it yet. And if you think you are God's gift to planet Earth, sorry, you're not. Jesus was. Nobody here is perfect. And we won't be until we go to our eternal home. So while we mature, here's the folks, we can't make the maturing aspect just about gaining more knowledge, about gaining more information, about learning more things. The maturing process to become like the disciples who become the apostles and that we are to mature so we can be better prepared to be on mission and in ministry for the kingdom of God. If you are saved, this is the reason God has saved you. He has given you his Holy Spirit to be intentional about being on mission and in ministry for the kingdom of God. For Jesus would ascend into heaven, the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. He says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Not you might be, not you have the potential to be, not that I hope it goes well for you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The word witness there in Acts 1, 8 means testify. You're going to testify about Jesus. This is done through preaching. This is done through teaching. This is done through proclaiming. This is done by simply engaging in conversation with people. And we witness. We testify about what Jesus Christ has done for you. We tell people, hey, God loves you. But it might be that Jesus 
and God are calling you to an actual mission field. I mean, the mission field is all around us, but he may be calling you somewhere else to engage there in ministry and mission. And notice how Jesus defines it there in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He finds the mission field in four areas. First, he says Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem would be considered a disciple's hometown. So for us, Jerusalem would be Stratford and the surrounding community. Okay? So he says, you're going to be my witness. You're going to testify about me in the community to which you live, in the surrounding communities which you engage in. Then he says Judea. So that would be the disciple's home country. So for us, it would be like our county or our state, maybe even our nation, that we are to witness into the places around us. Then he says... You're going to be my witnesses also in Samaria. And we have to understand the context of that. The disciples were Jews. Jewish people detested Samaritans. So this is the place and places they didn't want to go. People they didn't want to associate with. So for us, it's going to be to go to the homeless and testify about Jesus. It's going to go, be to go to our classmates that bug the tar out of us. It's going to be to go to those co-workers that we can't stand to share a cubicle with and to proclaim Jesus to them the places we don't want to go. And then he says, and to the end of the earth. And what he means by that in Acts 1-8 is that there are no boundaries, people. There are no walls that the gospel cannot go. There are no places that can keep the gospel out. Take it to the world. When Paul was writing to the Corinthian believers in his second letter that we have, he had to remind them that they forgot their purpose, that they forgot that they were supposed to be on mission and they were supposed to be in ministry. See, the Corinthian believers, if you read through both of those letters, they began to become focused on themselves. And they began to become focused on their church. And when they became focused on themselves and the church they went to, what happened within the church is divisions began to emerge. That's why in 1 Corinthians, Paul lays out that chapter of love in chapter 13. Because they didn't love one another. They were all about me, 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 and look what I did, and look who I am, and I was saved before you, and I've been saved longer than you. And, and that's all it was, and so it began to cause divisions. And so Paul has to bring them back to their purpose. Look, you're supposed to be in ministry. You're supposed to be in mission. You're supposed to represent Christ, not yourself. And there's a huge lesson in 1 and 2 Corinthians. When we become focused on ourselves, and when we become focused only on Harvest Hill, we begin to think that it is all about us when it's all about him. It's not the mindset of the believers there in Corinth, though. So in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. I mean, we're not ambassadors for ourselves. We're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, to be an ambassador is to be a representative which means we are to represent Christ, we are to represent God, we are to represent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and we are to represent the kingdom of God to which we belong, and we do that through mission and ministry. And through the indwelling Spirit in all of God's people, God has equipped and He has empowered all of His children to carry out this task. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we have been reconciled to God, and here's the reason. You have been brought back in harmony with God through Jesus Christ for this purpose, the ministry of reconciliation with the message of reconciliation. So we've been reconciled to proclaim reconciliation and how others can be reconciled to God just as we are. I mean, our reconcile, reconciliation through Christ is to move us into being a representative of Christ, and this keeps our heart 
and soul in harmony with God. And some believers are so off, and their relationship with God is off. And the Bible points out in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the reason believers feel off because they're not engaged in ministry. They're not doing what God has empowered them to do. That doesn't mean you're being called to be a preacher or to lead a small group or to become a Bible teacher. But God is calling you to do something. To be involved somewhere in his kingdom's work and his purpose. And again, 2 Corinthians points out there, that is not by our power. It's not by our knowledge or know-how. It is God making his appeal through us. So it's a great minor when we think, man, I can't do that. I, I, I just, I can't. You know what God says? You're exactly right. Because if you think you can, you're only going to get in the way. And God won't be able to make his appeal through you. So if you're a place, man, I can't lead Bible study. I can't be a part of the worship team. I can't, I can't, I can't. You're exactly where you need to be so God can use you. So that he can receive the glory and you don't. But be on mission. And Paul was led to tell us we engage in representing the kingdom to work together with Christ and God through the Spirit to reveal that we have not received the grace of God in vain. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. This means if we have accepted the gift of God, and we grow in the wisdom of God, but we only sit on it, and we don't take part in the mission and the ministry of God, we live as if Christ's sacrifice for us means nothing. It is of little value. And God invites us and empowers us all to do what his will and purpose is, that his kingdom and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is to, isn't to pat ourselves on the back like the Corinthians are doing and say, look what I've done or look what I'm involved in or you know, look at all the time I put into this. This is the end goal, to multiply by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus bookends his ministry with this goal. He matured the disciples. He involved them in ministry to make become fishers of men, and then he commissions and commands them and empowers them to go out and make disciples. Hey, you were a disciple? Now go multiply. Go make more disciples. Go teach others about me. Go proclaim. Jesus' goal of meeting people was to mature them in their knowledge of God and Scripture so they might be equipped to be on mission for the kingdom of God, taking the mission of Jesus as their own and to multiply by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is basically passing the baton. He's saying, look, I'm going to go sit at the right hand of the Father, so I'm passing my ministry on to you. I'm going to empower you to do it. I've discipled you and taught you these three years, so you know what to say. You know what it means. You know where to go. You know what to preach. I'm going to empower you through my spirit. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age, but you've got to go out and you've got to start multiplying. You've got to start reproducing. And so the implication we find in the scriptures is as disciples and as followers and as Christians, we are to be reproducing. We are to be making more disciples. We are to be making followers. We are to be making Christians and new believers. Now at this point in time, we have to keep in mind, the disciples didn't have it all figured out. I mean, turn to the book of Acts. 
You see, they didn't have it all figured out. They understood Jesus died. They understood now he's risen from the dead. They understood that he's going to go into the heavens. But if you look in the book of Acts, you see that they struggled with the complete meaning of the incarnation and the resurrection. They struggled with the, the complete impact it was to have on their life. Even here in Matthew, Matthew points out in verse 17, even though they're standing before the risen Lord, they're able to look in his face, see the scars in his hand, hear his voice come out of his mouth. Matthew 28, 17 says, but some doubted. What proof do you need, people? (laughs) But some doubted. Which tells us that to be involved in multiplication and ministry and missions, here's an incredible promise. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't even have to have it all together. We just have to be a willing vessel to be an instrument of righteousness. So we can come before God with our questions, with our doubts, and our confusion. And God looks at us and says, yeah, I want to use you. You're perfect. Where you're weak, I can be strong. Multiply doesn't mean we need a degree. Doesn't mean we need to go to a Bible school or a Bible college. It doesn't mean you have to have a position in a church. To multiply simply means we bear fruit. And we see from Genesis into the Gospels, multiplication is the heart of God. If you're going to start your Bible reading plan, you're going to begin in Genesis chapter 1. When God created everything. And what you're going to notice in the midst of creation, God created vegetation and animals and people all for the sake of reproducing according to their kind. And you know what? He does the same with believers. Reproduce according to your kind. Make new believers. Preach the gospel. Let the blessings fall on them. But be multiplying, reproducing. Christianity is about movement. We see that through the gospels and the book of Acts. C.S. Lewis wrote, The church exists for nothing else but to draw men or people into Christ and to make them little Christ. If they, speaking of the church, are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose, to draw people to himself, to make himself known. And Jesus calls people to meet him, to mature, be on mission, ministry, all for the sake of multiplication. David Platt writes in his book, Exalting Jesus and Matthew, according to Jesus, from beginning to end, to be a disciple is to make disciples. Scripture knows nothing to disciples who are not making disciples. Do this again, it isn't about us, it's about Jesus, because it's Jesus who empowers his people. He directs his people. He guides his people. He provides for his people. He provides everything they need in order to complete this mission, to make disciples. And we do this all by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us to which God has gifted us with. And what we see with the multiplication is it brings it back full circle. Because when we're multiplying, we're allowing people to meet Jesus so they can mature in their relationship with God. They too can be on ministry and mission for the kingdom of God. And they too can start multiplying so others can meet Jesus. Mature, mission, multiply, meet. It's just ongoing. 
And that's how we know if we have a healthy spiritual heart. So if you're a believer, I'm going to give you a couple challenges this morning. Some of them you may have already been doing. First challenge, challenge number one. So we start this new year, 2023. We don't know what's going to happen in 2023. We didn't know what was going to happen in 2020, right? But there are some things we can control. As a believer, start a Bible reading plan. Pick one, okay? And then find someone that can keep you accountable with it. Maybe someone here, maybe someone in your family, maybe someone who's not here, maybe just a friend or a coworker. Maybe say, hey, let's do this together. But find a Bible reading plan. Get into God's Word and read it. And here's the thing. Don't let day one keep you from jumping to day two, even though it's still day one. If you want to keep reading, keep reading. And if you miss, it's all right. You can catch up. Second thing. Find a group of people, group of believers, let me clarify, and develop a small group, a Bible study. Get with other believers, and, and here's the thing. Just take what you're reading in God's Word through your Bible reading plan and say, hey, this is what I was reading. What do you think about this? What do you think that means? And just share what God's doing in your life. You don't have to have a, a curriculum. You don't have to go to a Christian bookstore or christianbooks.com and, and order something. You got everything you need right here. So just deal with people like, hey, what have you been reading? What have you been learning? What's God been revealing to you? You, know, don't, you don't have to have an agenda. Just talk about your relationship with God and what you're learning and maybe how God's challenging you. Final challenge as a believer. Here you go. Number three. Find a Bible reading plan. Get together with people. And again, they don't have to be attached to Harvest Hill. Maybe at, at your work or somewhere else. Okay. Final thing. Once a month this year, share the gospel with at least one person. So every month, you're going to share the gospel with someone new. And so you may share the gospel with someone in January, and you're still talking about the gospel in February because they're still, not, they're still not there, but that doesn't mean February you're off the hook to find someone else to share the gospel with. And understand this, you're going to be like Paul. Only some are going to accept it. But that does not give us an excuse not to share it. So once a month, okay, read your, read your Bible throughout the year. Get with some people so you can have a little small group, Bible study time. If you want a curriculum, go. that's fine. I'm not opposed to curriculums. And then share the gospel with one person every single month. So that means 12 people this year. And if you're like, I don't know if I know 12 people. I'm not really, I don't really have that many people I like in my life. And start praying. God, bring somebody in my life to share the gospel with this month. At the end of this year, that means there will be 12 people that would have had the opportunity to be saved. And I don't know how many people are here today, but I know there's more than 10. And if we all would do this, that means there would be 120 people have the opportunity to be saved. There's at least 20, that's 240. There's at least 30, that's 360. God has put you where you are because that's your mission field. You may think you have to go to school because it's the law, students. Nope, God put you in that classroom. With those people in that class, on that day, that's your mission field. Wherever you find yourself working, wherever you find yourself in years of retirement, God brings people in your life. That's your mission. Share the gospel with them. We have to be intentional 
And we come to this hard because we have to make an evaluation. Okay, how spiritually healthy am I? How spiritually healthy are we as a church? Because God wants to do great, mighty things through us and through this church. I believe it. If I didn't believe it, we wouldn't answer God's call to come. And God wants to use all of this for his glory. But this brings us to the final question. Have you met Jesus? Have you confessed your need for Jesus' death and confessed your belief that he rose from the grave so you could be forgiven for your sins? Have you confessed him personally as your Lord and Savior? And have you been given the gift of eternal life? If you're here this morning and you're like, I don't know. Or you're here this morning and the Spirit is just like telling you flat out you haven't. Then I want to present the gospel to you that Paul wrote about and that Jesus taught about. God created you for a relationship with him. That is your sole purpose on this earth. It's not a job. It's not a paycheck. It's not a retirement. It's not a vacation. It's to be in a relationship with God. And it's your sin that is separating you from that relationship. And the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory and that the wages that are cost that sin is death. And that death there in Romans 6.23 means eternal separation from the God of the living. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so you, you can't do enough good stuff. Yeah, read your Bible. Come to church. Grow in your relationship with God. That's not to earn, prove, or keep your salvation. That's in response to your salvation. It is only found through Jesus Christ. He paid the cost. And if you're here this morning and you've yet to be forgiven for your sins, that means you're lost. But God has come to find you and to call you to himself. And so if you need to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and find forgiveness for your sins and be given the gift of eternal life, I'm going to be standing down here. You don't have to come stand by me. You just come and sit in the front row. I'll sit by you. You can just say, Pastor Mike, I need to be saved. Pray together, and we'll celebrate together. And I promise you there won't be a person in this room that won't be celebrating with you. But if you know that's what you need to do, we're going to sing this song of invitation. I'm going to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for saving us and giving us a purpose. Giving us a task to do and then giving us the power to do it. Lord, if there's someone here this morning who does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, has not found forgiveness for their sins, has not been given eternal life, Father, I pray that your spirit would just bring them down the aisle and today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, as your people, we want to be used for your glory so that you might be glorified through us and through this church. So thank you, Lord, for just giving us your word that we might know you more, we might seek after you, understand you, and even if we get, got into the depths, there would still be further, deeper to go. Forgive us if we failed you in any way. We ask your kingdom and will continue to be done. We praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.